Hello and welcome to Comms Across Continents. I'm Patrick Colbert, Head of Content at Simply Communicate. And I'm Aish Rajavali, Content Executive. Patrick, who have we got in the hot seat today? Today we talk to Celine Schillinger, Founder and CEO of Weenie Social. Celine has worked across three continents in her illustrious career so far in comms, HR and in commercial operations, among other roles, including spending close to two decades at pharmaceutical giants Sanofi. Celine advises companies and professionals on engagement leadership in English and French. Let's get started then. So Celine, you, um, you're kind of a comms legend. You've been around for, for decades, it appears. Um, the, we, this podcast has been launched around understanding the nuances of, um, of how people cooperate and communicate around the globe. Um, you've been to, you've worked in three continents. Have you got any kind of top line things that you can talk to us straight off the bat? Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to talk about a topic that is uh, very dear to my heart. I studied communications a long time ago. I have only worked um, a couple of years in a communication departments uh, per se, but I believe that communication has been the backbone uh, eventually of all my career. Everything I've done uh, after that uh, through uh, business operations, through project uh, management, uh, changing um, operations and changing the way people work. So it's all a matter of communication, in fact. So I see communication. So yeah, obviously it's a skill and it's uh, a, 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 an expertise area for extremely talented professionals. But I see it uh, as a a common thread uh, across uh, everything we do at work uh, eventually because work is relational fundamentally even leadership is relational reality is relational so we have to connect we have to relate uh, it's all about how we make sense of things together and um, I think this necessity transcends, obviously, the cultural barriers and uh, uh, different uh, approaches and generations, etc. So the need to relate, to connect with others is a, a general um, necessity. Now, how, how we do that technically speaking, culturally speaking, differs, obviously, country by country or... Um, even I've seen changes, obviously, in throughout the three decades, but I feel that this very necessity to to connect remains. And if we if we are curious and open, I believe we can overcome any kind of um, of difficulty. The the one thing I am cautious now uh, I'm cautious of now, and that I realize more than what I did in the past is that we are entangled in systems. Um, some would say even ideologies. Uh, so we sometimes perpetuate, contribute to systems that have worked in the past or that work for some people, but that do not work for everybody or that will not lead us into the future. So we need to be uh, and all the more um, in the communication world, we need to be aware of those systemic forces that um, um, shape our our interactions. And you mentioned there what um you know talking about what will work in the future, and we've just had a discussion before this call around the digital workplace and how that's exploding. Um, but you, you you put a caveat to that, uh, which is that the, the the you know the purpose of engagement is 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 still critical to that. So 
So, you know, you've got a new internet. What do you do from there? How do you engage a workforce? Mm. I would say the work begins even before you have the new internet. <laughs> the work be be uh, starts with getting people together. Uh, for example, if you're a big company, you get a representative sample of your people together. Uh, so not just the communication department or not just the senior executives, but really a representative sample of your of your environment. And you get together and organize this um, and stimulate, create the conditions for a real uh, dialogue and, and even more than a dialogue, real co-creation to happen so that the internet, the new internet is a consequence of this discussion, of this co-creation. It's not the starting point, uh, but is a consequence and is, is the, the fruit, uh, the outcome uh, of, of these people getting together so that they feel this new tool is their own. They, they, you've created authorship, a shared authorship on uh, this new tool. And too often companies come up with new tools to decide it here or there for uh, budget reason, financial reasons or technical reasons alone. And then reach out to the comms department and say, hey, you've got to, uh, we've got to engage people around it. Well, then it's too late. It's, uh, it's not the, the right way. I mean, it may have worked in the past. It doesn't work anymore. People hate to be um, to be told. People hate to hate to be manipulated. To be invited too late in the in the course of action because they know things. Everything has been already decided. So they're being utilized, you know. And uh, people feel that they they know that. Even if we try to, I don't know, reach out to. A bunch of advocates, you know, or, or create a group of change agents. All this is all always coming from the top, uh, and as the uh, limiting thought patterns I told about in the beginning, these approaches perpetuate this top-down, this belief in top-down, in cascading of knowledge. You know, believing that there's more knowledge at the top than there's at the bottom, for example. Uh, which is fundamentally wrong. But knowledge is everywhere. There's no better knowledge at the top or at the bottom. Everything is important in relation to each other. It's it's the this diversity of knowledge that we we need to we need to make a, a, the system more aware of the diversity of its own knowledge, uh, and connect more different people together. That's why I love social uh, the social media and digital workplace, provided they are not approached as uh, tools alone, and as as uh, in particular as tools for uh, a, a louder reach from the top to the bottom, right? It's not a, a mega loudspeaker. The, the digital workplace fundamentally, I mean, in, in its best uh, use, fundamentally changes interactions by changing dialogue and changing postures. And that's, it's, it, it is a, a, a super important element to uh, by connecting the system to more of itself, to make it more uh, intelligent, more um, able to manage its own internal complexity, and therefore the external complexity of the world as well. That's really, really, yeah, interesting. So obviously you, you you've named the business. We need social, and obviously mm -hmm. 
think of social as an external collaborative tool. You think of your Instagram feed, you think of TikToks um, and what what have you. Um, so are you bringing that back? Is, 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 is the purpose of that to bring that back into the workplace, bring that fun element and bring that collaborative collaboration that you're that is so desperately needed for businesses to thrive? Yes, I think so. Um, this is, um, I'm not trying to just bring tools, but bring um, bring new habits uh, that those tools have made more popular, such as visuals, uh, sharing visuals, sharing um, photos, uh, sharing our photos, you know, selfies, for example. We, we mocked that for a long time and we, we felt that was completely futile. Uh, however, the need to be seen as, as people uh, is uh, a fundamental element in the engagement, in, in engaging people. We want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be recognized. Uh, it's just um, an essential human need that those, uh, those digital technologies enable. And if you're a senior leader, um, shaped by um, you know obsolete uh, uh, thought patterns you still believe that uh, the the bulk of the enterprise of the the company is like an indistinct mass of workers and that they will uh, whatever go along you know d uh, directives or instructions or processes or well then you'd, you'd better manage a, a, a factory of robots right because there's that's no way there's no way you manage people in that way. Uh, that's why the, the humanness enabled by those digital technologies uh, is extremely precious, is a, is a, is a wonderful asset. Uh, so it's not about, uh, yeah, just sharing people's pictures, but seeing teams, seeing people, seeing where innovation comes from, and it can come from anywhere in the organization, recognizing this uh, richness of contribution. But of course, uh, it goes with a different management approach or leadership approach. It goes with different leadership behaviors. So it's not just, you know, by putting a tool and switching it, it on that you will change behaviors in an organization. It's by deliberately and very intensely and continuously supporting new leadership behaviors, new approaches uh, in um, uh, everywhere in the organization. It's, it's not just um, Sometimes we blame uh, middle managers for everything. Oh, you know, it's the, the frosty middle or whatever. I think that's wrong. I, I think uh, each and every one of us, first of all, we are all the middle of something. <laughs> uh, even the CEO is in the middle of, uh, you know, uh, shareholders, whatever, and people reporting to him. We are all the middle of something. So let's stop blaming the middle managers, for example, and let's start considering what each and every one of us uh, can do to change, to, to, to evolve uh, relationships a, a little bit. And with this evolution and how we communicate and how that's changing, do you think that the email is dead? Do you think that um, do you think we'll be using it in the future? You if you if you ask my friend Luis Suarez, who's a very strong advocate of the zero email um, approach, 
uh, yes, email has been dead for a long time. However, <laughs> as you, you and I can see, we still receive emails and send some. Um, but there are so many new tools that enable uh, a much faster and, and a much, it's not just faster, but it's, uh, as I said, a better, uh, an evolved kind of communication that it would be a shame to just rely on on emails it would be would be as uh, as if we kept you know sailing uh, with uh, with old boats rather than uh, using better technology and of course the world is is changed and uh, we need to to consider that but email is very much you know point to point communication uh, social and um, engagement approach based tools are more of a enable more connection they enable more uh, a richer connection where people um, themselves choose select the kind of information they want to access and it's because this process is is uh, chosen it's about you never know who the communication will reach uh, so you're not limiting your possibilities as you do with emails. You're expanding possibilities way more. And you never know, you know, uh, what can arise from those unexpected uh, connections between knowledge and people. Great. Um, and I wanted to get into, so you were at, um, sorry, correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Sanofi? Yeah. Uh, close to 18 years. Mm. Um, were you communicating globally there? And um, I guess, how have you seen the organization and what you do in it change over the years? So, yeah, I did um, stay a long time at this pharmaceutical company. And prior to that, I worked 10 years in smaller companies. So I, I was able to see uh, a big difference uh, in how uh, people communicate in small versus big companies. Big companies have much more means, much more you know, people and etc. At the same time there, I feel they are more constrained. Uh, constrained by processes, by rules, uh, by self-limiting behaviors as well. And that's uh, also an interesting one. Uh, there's often a culture of, uh, of blame and fear in large organizations. So people, uh, you know, Russell Ackoff spoke of errors of commission versus, versus errors of omission. He said errors of commission are what you do, you shouldn't have done. Errors of omission are what you didn't do, we should have done. And so in companies, in large organizations, what gets blamed, what gets punished is errors of commission, just errors of commission. And therefore, in order to avoid that, what is the simplest uh, way? You do nothing. Yeah. Then if you do nothing, then you will not be blamed. Right. So that's why we have systemic forces that apply also to communicators, to, to professionals of communication in organizations. There are very str strong systemic forces for averageness. <laughs> I don't know if it's a word, but for, you know, a form of mediocrity, uh, which is a, a low risk approach to work. Hmm? But then low risk, no blame. Perfect. But then the systems 
remain unchanged. We keep perpetuating um, uh, the, the traditional behavior patterns, you know, top-down, uh, siloed, segmented, etc. And this doesn't lead organizations into the future. Great. Um, so you've also worked in HR and commercial ops uh, too. What have you learned about cultural and communicative nuances in that time? Mm, yeah, I've, I've worked in a number of, of fields that uh, uh, I have a, a very much of a generalist uh, kind of professional journey, which is uh, a problem at some times um, because I'm not deemed uh, you know, specialist enough. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, in my opinion, it's um, a source of uh, uh, richness, a different a source of different perspectives that has uh, served me enormously, I find, in my career. So what I've learned through uh, those um, experiences in HR and communications are that, um, uh, how can I say that? We are sometimes um, contributing to general corporate policies, to implementing corporate policies that make no sense. And uh, however we do that, uh, because we're paid, because we're, you know, um, uh, obedient uh, professionals because we we don't want to um, uh, to run too many risks and um, I don't I don't I'm, I don't mean we need to to be revolutionary you know or break down everything that's not what I mean or erase the past completely but if more uh, more professionals would get together and I think that's what simply is contributing to, and that's wonderful. Uh, if more professionals were able to, you know, take a step back from their day-to-day -day practice, from what they are being asked to 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 run, and reflect uh, together with people from other companies about the systems, you know, and and uh, the the patterns, and even maybe the the ideology behind that, um, maybe they would find ways to do things differently. For example, I remember in my HR time how the company at that time decided to implement uh, forced ranking. You know, forced ranking was uh, an ideology where you, uh, as a manager, you needed to find super, uh, a, a, a little percentage of excellent performers in your team, a little percentage of uh, low performers in your team, and then uh, the average were in the middle. But if you have a team of 10, that means every year you had to find, to identify, to, 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 yeah, to, to identify two excellent, two poor, and the rest would be average. And then the two poor would be, you know, kicked out uh, of the enterprise. Right. This is ridiculous. Uh, it's it's about um, it was derived from a, a large scale analysis you know, uh, of people's performance. But then it was turned into a, a stupid management fad, which everybody went after uh, for a while until uh, several years later, people decided that it was crap and uh, went to something else. And that's what kills me. It's to see you know, extremely good professionals behaving as a, a flock of sheep and um, just, you know, adopting those latest management or HR or communication fans without thinking. 
and, and I, I know there's a lot of people who would like to to say, hey, uh, stop, stop this. <laughs> we don't have to to do this. Uh, but too often in companies, people uh, mix uh, action and impact. They believe that by taking action, by be, being very busy, by you know deploying this or that, uh, then that is the work. Well, no, the work is not to be busy. The work is to make a positive impact. So uh, I would invite uh, uh, everybody to to connect around that. You know, what, uh, is what we're doing really helpful and helpful both for the business and for the people working in that business? If it's helpful only for one of them, then it's not good. We have to, and there are many many ways to connect those two objectives, you know, the economic one and the social one. Uh, we need more social. That's why I call my company We Need Social, because I think we've been um, way too much focused on the pure economic one. And what this creates is a bunch of dissatisfied uh, people at work, huge disengagement, uh, an increasing amount of burnout, uh, and um, an angry society. And people are angry because they're not listened to, they're not recognized, they're not uh, enabled to to be to, to how can I say to work with dignity. And uh, if we can contribute to to that, and again, not to through uh, uh, superficial you know um, gimmicks, um, if we can contribute to that, then we make society better through work and through value creation strategies is very important not not you know superficial communication make people happy kind of strategy so when you uh when the manager which of course the manager can always be the problem um yeah. when the manager's help, helping to get two people leave the company every mm. year um because they're in brackets low performance yes. what was stopping a sensible senior leader saying this strategy is bonkers is mad that's a great question. That's an absolutely great question. I think what was stopping there them was um, uh, an ossified uh, interaction pattern where we have to, or we presume that the top knows better than the bottom. And therefore, if the top has decided this or that, we have to execute. Uh, there are um, sometimes we, you know, complain or, uh, against uh, uh, command and control leadership, right? But I think it goes with submission behaviors. Uh, you don't have domination without submission, and sometimes we are um, voluntary victims of what we um, what we d blame, right? I give you one example. I was uh, talking the other day with a, a team at an organization who was extremely interested in and very passionate about self-organization. So they were exploring the topic of self-organizing teams because they wanted this to be more uh, prevalent in their organization. They were all fired up with self-organization. And at the end of our workshop, I said, so I asked them, so what's your next step? And they said, well, oh, we're going to write a report and ask for permission from our leadership to expand self-organizing in our company. And I said, all right, 
do you realize <laughs> that what you're doing is precisely the opposite <laughs> of what uh, you're trying to achieve? Because by asking permission, uh, you are precisely reproducing this pattern of not self-organizing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So fell at the first hurdle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean that's why that's why you come into these businesses to uh, to you know. But sometimes the simplest perspectives uh, can be overlooked, and people can yeah. start running with an idea, and it can just snowball, and then you know you have to rein it back in. Um, exactly. And then in this case, what will happen? They will write a report. Management will find it fuzzy, uncomfortable, unsure. They will say be most likely no uh, and so the team will say oh you see we're blocked by senior management and senior management will say oh this team do, do, cannot you know organize themselves uh, in a proper way so then the system stays stuck nothing changes and um, everybody feels um, a little bit dissatisfied with the others right and it goes on and on <laughs> yeah. I'm going to bring it right back to the start. We touched upon um, your working experiences uh, in numerous continents. So you've worked in, in Boston, in the States, you've yeah. worked for, in Vietnam, I believe. Yes. Uh, a Chinese company, mm -hmm. uh, whether or not I was in China, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, yeah, it was in China. It's in China. Um, yeah. So predominantly was this in the English language, I assume that the communication was done in Vietnam and, uh, and uh, in China. And furthermore, and of course, you've worked in France, uh, France mm. for a long, long time. Mm. Um, what is what? How do you work differently? What 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 have you noticed within the businesses? Is it business specific, or is it that culturally there are differences that make how you operate as a business and potentially as a communicator? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there are extremely big differences, uh, obviously. Uh, in um, not just in how we communicate, but how we see the world, uh, how we perceive ourselves and the others. Uh, there's this example I, I love from Vietnam, for example, where there's no single word to say I and you. There are many different um, interconnected possibilities. So the I I use with you, Patrick, for example, will be different from the I I use with my parents or the I I use with my husband or the I I use with my children. And the you will also be different in each case because the I and the you is relational. Isn't it fascinating? There's, there's, so there's no, you know, this, this um, sort of a single entity called I, which is uh, obvious to us, right, uh, is absolutely not obvious uh, in another culture, for example. <laughs> and uh, I remember when I, uh, together with other colleagues, launched a, a movement in the workplace for more diversity and in particular for gender equality in the workplace. Um, we were joined by people from all over the world in the company, who are colleagues, but very quickly, uh, some women based in the Middle East, for example, colleagues in the Middle East said, hey, our uh, challenges are different from yours. And we want to, to, to discuss about those particular challenges we have uh, in a way that is consistent with our culture. And that was, uh, was a great discussion for us to have, you know, to realize that we couldn't uh, impose our... Um, 
values or beliefs or belief system, you know, to everyone in the world. Um, and I, I got this feeling many, many times, especially working on leadership and HR issues, etc. I could see, I could witness how many elements, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I participate in that as well. How many elements come from North America, for example? And some of that feels completely foreign, even to to France, for example. You know, I will not take. Uh, I mean, those cultures are different, but I would say not as radically different as between the West and the East, for example. So you could think there are, you know, connection points, but some things feel so American. It's 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 funny. It's even funny to watch. And on the 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 other hand, I'm sure if I came up with my my thoughts, my ideas, to, without um, making the effort to 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 co-create with local people, uh, I would be perceived as extremely French. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so I think the the the, the answer is um, lies in humility, extreme humility, being aware that our point of view is just a point of view, is not. Um, no one holds the truth. The truth is uh, yeah, there's scientific truth for sure. Uh, we know vaccines work, for example, but uh, in communication, in interaction, in, in business related topics, uh, it's all a matter of perspectives and getting people together. Um, then, for example, I'm also a big proponent of corporate activism, activism in the workplace. Um, we need to be careful with those concepts in Asia, for example, you know, which are um, uh, marked by hierarchy and a respect for hierarchy. And uh, we need to, to hear that. And at the same time, as, as always, things are complex. At the same time, there are people in those countries, uh, for example, um, women professionally in Japan, for example, uh, struggling and fighting for more equality, right? So I think uh, being aware of uh, and, and embracing diversity rather than pushing simple solutions at people or simple messaging at people is the key. So in that respect, for global and for global enterprises, if you work in communications or let's say your role, even uh, let's go into other departments, let's say you're rolling out a DNI strategy, mm. um, is it is it can't be a one size fits all. So no, no. do you do you, um, do you tailor your comms, for instance, to other markets? And also, uh, can you um, uh, for things such as DNI rollouts, can you really do a global strategy mm -hmm. uh, when that's as you say, I think cultures and um, permeate differently around the yeah. world. Yeah. Well, that's why. That's to answer your question. It's precisely why I have erased rollout from my vocabulary. I never roll out anything. I co-create with the diversity of people and engage and stimulate and cre I create the conditions for people to take action to see to 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 yeah to see their own um, capacity to act their own agency i stimulate and and not just i alone huh? i with many other people but i create the conditions for people to take action i'm to mo to feel mobilized ideally to self mobilize 
so that it does not come from the, the result of a uh, of a push approach or a rollout approach, but it comes from it stems from their own desire to take action. And that's why a DNI strategy is uh, to me uh, um, has way more success to um, make an impact if it is created in a DNI way, and even if DNI is embedded in everything the company does. So we we should not, in the in the best case, we should not have to talk about DNI at all because DNI would be present everywhere. In um, I don't know, in running factories, for example. Well. The, the the people involved would would be DNI would be they all they would all be diverse and they would be they would all feel included right uh, in um, I don't know preparing balance sheets in uh, talking with uh, stakeholders shareholders etc everything should be DNI so DNI should not be and too often it has been digested and, and re reshaped as a as a as a silo. Uh, as a silo that produces um, indicators, you know, check marks, and because that's how organizations run thing, run things usually. And I think it's doing a disservice to DNI, but even more than that, it's doing a disservice to the performance of companies because we know companies are more performant, uh, they they deliver better if they are more diverse and if this diversity. Is is again more connected to itself. We're back to the digital workplace, for example. Um, so, uh, when you back to your question, a DNI policy should be a, a value creation policy. In fact, you know, leveraging the diversity of people, and uh, ideally, should not be rolled out. It should be. Um, uh, it should be, how can I say, we should inspire people to act. And that's very different. Interesting. I want to just get your your perspectives on um, cross-cultural collaboration. So just as a background, I worked for a uh, Chinese uh, company, mm. but newly acquired. It was Norwegian for 20 years. Ah. Um, and um, and one of the, and in, as a generalization, the Norwegians were very methodical. They wanted to practice, test a product before going out. They wanted conversation. They wanted to try and take their time and get it perfect. Mm. The Chinese wanted to test and try, test and try, try something new all the time. Mm. Uh, if it didn't work today, let's try something new tomorrow. Mm. Both have their merits, both have their, um, you know, but both both systems as a generalization have their have their merits, but it was a pain point amongst mm. Norwegian team who had been working for 20 years this way and mm. team in Beijing who were working, who are used to working fast, agile environments. Mm. Um, and that permeated throughout the entire organization. Mm. The product level, it was like that, but it also was like that just in the way that the business operated. Mm. How can you mitigate this and how can how mm. can you get collaboration better between um, be between these kind of ways of working and get it mm. so works for everyone? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and a great case. I think this kind of um, things uh, needs to be prepared upstream uh, way before the uh, integration, the M&A, uh, the merger actually happens. Uh, ideally, by um, connecting people around non-strategic topics, 
around um, topics of low, uh, low, low risk topics, um, communication, integration, etc. So that people form uh, personal relationships so that people can bond uh, as people. Uh, rather than put right away, you know, two teams as teams uh, and have them work on very important projects, uh, you know, from one day to another, that will create frictions, obviously, that you've described. While if you take the time, and the approach I described before is also a little bit slower, if you consider it uh, from um, uh, an implementation perspective, for example, uh, but I find it way more effective and way more sustainable. If you take the time to foster uh, relationships, connections, to create a connective environment before uh, before focusing on whatever uh, important project that needs to be pursued, and I know we don't have time, huh? uh, but too often we completely disregard this connection building um, phase. And it's a shame because then we can never recoup it. We can never recuperate. Uh, this loss of this social capital is, in my opinion, the first priority should be the first priority of leaders. How can we build social capital, relationships um, of trust, uh, where people again see each other and 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 see and and know who their colleagues are, etc. So building, taking the time, <clears throat> and 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 dedicating some energy, including including energy from leaders themselves, and not instead of delegating the work to the communication department. And I know that communication professionals have been advocating for that uh, for, for decades already right uh, we shouldn't do the 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 hard job of communication of uh, etc alone we should be enabling leaders supporting leaders so they communicate and they you know enable uh, communication all around them and i totally agree with that but too often leaders uh, sort of uh, yeah delegate uh, the communication work to the communication department, and I think that's a shame. It is. Um, and I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about, so as well as your work um, at We Need Social, you're also a charter member at Change Agents Worldwide. What does that entail? So Change Agents Worldwide is a community of change agents that was founded uh, a while ago by uh, a wonderful woman named Susan Skrupski and a few others. And the, uh, their intention was to invent new ways of doing business, uh, to um, connect change agents in companies and um, externals and consultants, people working on their own. And I'm not active in this uh, community anymore, but uh, I was uh, welcomed at a time where it felt hugely important. Uh, it, it felt like a relief for for me as a as an internal change agent. Things were difficult, and uh, I know it's uh, it, it's hard for for many many people around the world who are trying to change their organizations for the better. So I was. Uh, welcomed, supported, listened to uh, by those people who are 
who and I'm still very much in contact with them through social media. You can follow them uh, on Twitter and everything. And they they are the kind of people who understood uh, from a long time ago already um, how work could become more digital, how technology would enhance the, the humanness, should enhance the, the, those human relations in companies rather than replace them, et cetera, et cetera. There, I see their, their message uh, being finally, and after the pandemic, uh, being more listened to. It's a bit late, but better late than never. Uh, my hope is that we do not stop at the level of um, adopting technologies alone and letting all the leadership transformation aspect uh, aside, because the key is really there. Great. And um, leading us on to um, what is the future of work? <laughs> Where do you see it going? The future of work is now. <laughs> it's the present of work. We shouldn't uh, fantasize or keep fantasizing about a hypothetical, um, wonderful future where we're all, you know, liberated and we all work according to our desire and we all produce value and it's it's green, it's ecological, it's fantastic. <sighs> If we keep fantasizing about the future of work, it will it will not happen because we will um, we will keep pushing the improvements to tomorrow or after tomorrow. You know, so the future of work starts now. What do we do now to improve the way we we work together, to improve the way way we collaborate, to increase the the richness in the system, to increase the the way the system is connected to more of itself, to remove those patterns of domination and submission in the system, uh, to create the capacity for more people to feel um, actors rather than spectators or, or consumers of what happens in their own organization. What do we do now? And uh, it can start with very simple uh, actions, very simple things. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated, costly, or you know, beyond our. We can all do something. Um, so, and I will not, you know, come up with simple recipes because every context is different. Every, but take what you have around you and see how you can influence relationships. What kind of new relationships can you? Can you form? Can you shape? Can you? Uh, what can you stop doing because it doesn't ser serve us anymore? Who can you convince to, um, you know, join forces with you and um, and impact change even a little bit? A little bit is better than nothing. Indulge us a little bit. Let us fantasize a tiny bit, Celine. Are we going to be in the metaverse in the future uh, when we're in in, the, in work, or is it a fad and is it going to die a horrible death? <laughs> um, honestly, I don't know. I'm very interested in technology myself, but I'm also very uh, wary of the uh, technology illusion. Uh, technology being, you know, our savior. Um, uh, being the solution to all our problems? I don't think so. I I think if we keep believing that, if we keep, uh, it maintains a sort of engineering approach to change, which is completely um, detrimental to our performance, uh, our performance as a, as a society, as humans. 
right? So uh, technology is great. Um, we just, I just take it with a grain of salt. Uh, and I think the, the, the metaverse, yes, it's great. It's interesting. It's uh, stimulating and we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't stop, you know, exploring and we will not stop exploring anyway. That's in our nature. Um, but how can it help with solving big human challenges? How can we integrate this human dimension, this diversity, uh, inclusion, and not for the sake of, you know, being a good person, for the sake of efficiency? If we don't bring in everybody, if we don't create ownership and authorship and dignity and recognition and connection in the system, um, we, will, we will keep having this fragment, ultimate fragmentation where there's no common ground anymore. There's no people cannot, you know, uh, connect with each other anymore, cannot meet and listen to each other anymore. And what this leads us to is, uh, is grim perspectives, huh? honestly, and very hard for communicators because they will keep shouting at people who don't listen to them. So uh, instead of, uh, again, rolling out, pushing, uh, et cetera, uh, how can we bring people together? Uh, and not around messages, but around action. How can we create the conditions for common action? And common action is uh, goes across silos, of course, across functions, but also across layers. How do you uh, how do you interact if you're a, a senior leader, uh, or if you're a, a frontline worker? How you how do you interact with with each other, right? Um, I, I, I think this should be, uh, and there's a lot of things to be done here at the level of uh, communication. Communicators are amazing professionals and experts in the field of communication. So why don't they connect um, people huh? uh, and not just messaging? Um, I think there's a, a whole field of work here that is starting to be explored by many of those uh, communication slash engagement professionals, but there's much more we can do. Mm. The, the technology illusion, I love that phrase, um, at the heart of it uh, is all about humans and human interaction. Mm. Celine, this has been absolutely fantastic. We've overran a bit because it's been so uh, <laughs> enthralling. Um, so, you know, thank you ever so much for your time. Um, and um, yeah, this is going to be, uh, yeah, this is going to be a great podcast. So All thank right. Uh, thank you very much, both of you, for your time. And um, I will invite uh, listeners to reach out to my book, uh, which is out in early May in the US, in Canada, and mid-June in Europe. It's called Dare to Unlead, The Art of Relational Leadership in a Fragmented World. So you'll have uh, in 300 pages <laughs> uh, all those themes developed, explored, connected, and hopefully more ideas to create collective capacity. Dare to unlead, go out and get it. <laughs> Celine, thank you ever so much.